And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Good morning, church. It is so great to see you here at Lenexa, those of you watching the South Sanctuary Speedway and those of you watching online. We got a lot to talk about today, but before I do, I wanna remind you, particularly if you're new, we have just started a journey leading up to Resurrection Sunday called One. And One is a journey that literally thousands of people and hundreds of churches in 32 urban cities around the world are doing together to focus on the life of Jesus. And this year, as our third year, we are working through the Gospel of Luke. And in our services all over the world today, um, they are, we are talking about the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And then we're all committed to listening for 10 minutes a day for 40 days to get through all four Gospels in preparation for Resurrection Sunday, and a number of you have started that. It's an awesome experience. Uh, we use the YouVersion app, and all over the world, they're listening to the four Gospels in their own heart language. But there's a third element that we want to encourage you to start this week, and it is watching groups. And the watching groups are these six episodes from the Gospel of Luke, word for word, that look at the 
different table experiences that Jesus has uh, with all kinds of different people. You watch it, it's about 15 to 20 minutes long, and then you have a discussion. You can do this in your A2 group, uh, a neighborhood uh, gathering, your family. You could do it at the workplace. And all you need to do is to go to westsidefamily.church slash one, and you will find all of the resources, including these watching group experiences. So that's pretty exciting. Also, I want to remind you, next Sunday, we're going to have our first a worship and prayer event of the year. We do this to give us extended time of worship and prayer, and I just want to really encourage you at 6.30 here at Lenexa. Now, today, Jesus, the master storyteller, is going to tell us one of the best stories of all, the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10. And so if you brought your Bible, you can open it up there. Uh, or if you have the Westside app, I strongly encourage you. We'll have all the scriptures there as well as some notes for you to take and to share with others. But before we do, let's pray. Father, today we are so grateful that we have an opportunity of gathering together. And right now in this moment as we open up your word, I pray that all of us would open up our minds and our hearts and our hands for you to speak to us individually today that we might not only hear your word, but we might be committed to living your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all the church agreed by saying amen. amen. Okay, so I want to tell you the setting of the story before we actually tell the story. Uh, it begins in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So as you saw in the video, Jesus is teaching a group of people, and one of the people in the audience is an expert in the law. Now, an expert in the law is like a lawyer, but in Jewish custom, they were schooled in the, uh, the books of the Old Testament called the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible. If you know them, say them with me, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Good for you. Now, we are told that he asked Jesus a question, but the motive behind asking the question is to test Jesus, which means he either wants to take issue with Jesus and trip him up, or he wants to figure out what kind of teacher he is. And so he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a really good question. Matter of fact, it may be the most important question of all. What is it going to take for me to keep on living like forever? So kudos to the lawyer. He's asking a brilliant question. And Jesus responds in verse 26. What is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus is responding with the question. He's not answering it. He's responding with the question. And as you're listening to all four Gospels for 10 minutes a day over these 40 days, take note how many times when Jesus is asked a question, he responds by asking a question. I think this is quite brilliant because Jesus is wanting to get to the heart of the real question this guy is asking. 
And I've been trying to apply this in my relationships with people. When they ask a question, I'm trying to get to the heart of the real question they're trying to ask me and not jump into answering the question they first asked me uh, to get to the bottom of it. For example, in my relationship with Roseanne, if after dinner I go and sit on the couch and she says, what are you doing now? She's not really interested in what I'm doing now. What she's really saying is, I need you to get your butt off the couch and come over here and help me clean up. That's what she's getting at. If Roseanne says uh, to me at 5 o'clock at night, she says, what do you want for dinner? Okay, she's not interested in what I want for dinner. She's saying, we're going out tonight. You see? <laughs> That's what she's saying to me. So Jesus knows that this question this guy's asking is not the real question, and so he asks another question. And he knows this guy is trained in these first five books of the law, and so he asks him, how does it read to you, or how do you interpret what you read? And so the smarty-pants lawyer answers with the expected reply. He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, uh, with all your strength and with all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this guy is quoting two scriptures in the Old Testament from the first five books Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Deuteronomy 6 invites us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to have an all in devotion to your love with God as the first commandment of importance, love God first. And then the second, Leviticus chapter 19, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And this would have been a common answer to be expected coming out of the legal system of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, Jesus, in this concept of love your neighbor, he also restates the basic idea in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, in the Golden Rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay? So this guy answers the question in this way, and he's absolutely correct. As a matter of fact... Um, we understand that there are 613 different laws written in the Old Testament, in the Torah, 613, and every one of them can be classified either on how does it help me love God better or how does it help me love my neighbor better. For example, take the Ten Commandments, which are only 10 of the 613. The first four of the Ten Commandments talk to us about our love for God, and the remaining six of the Ten Commandments talk to us about how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Jesus apparently likes the answer because this is what it says in the next verse, verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live, meaning live eternally, right? Yeah, he's saying, hey, dude, if you can keep all 613 laws perfectly from now until you take your last breath, you'll make it, right? Now, I find Jesus' answer to be a bit confusing to me because as I read the Gospels, when other people have asked Jesus this question, this is not the answer that he gives them. And so I want to know, which is it? For example, another teacher of the law in John chapter 3 named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and asks him word for word the same question. 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? And this time, Jesus says something different. The famous passage, John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to read the first part of 15. I'm going to invite you to say it with me. This is his answer. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Here Jesus is saying, if you want eternal life, you merely need to believe in me. That what I did for you can wipe away your sins, but you have to believe in me. So which is it, Jesus? You've given two different answers here. I think that Jesus is basically answering the question based upon the motive that which it was asked. Nicodemus asked Jesus the question genuinely. He wanted to genuinely know the answer to the question. Remember, this guy doesn't care about the answer that Jesus gives to this question. He's testing Jesus. He's going after something else. I think what he's saying is, listen, bud, if you can live out all 613 of these laws perfectly from the beginning of your life to the end, you'll end. And what the what the guy should have said is, but Jesus, I've tried and i tried and i tried and I can't. And Jesus would have said, precisely, man. And then he would have quoted John chapter 3 and verse 16. But he knew the guy wasn't really interested in the answer to this question. But the guy doesn't get it. And so what he does is he asks Jesus a second question. It's found in verse 29. But... He wanted to justify himself. I love the scriptures. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, he's doing one of two things. He's either trying to, he knows he's busted. So he's trying to take the attention off of himself by asking a philosophical question. Or the guy is thinking to himself, well, I think I'm doing pretty good at these 613 laws. That's how arrogant this guy is. And he's thinking, and I'll be doing really good if we can narrow the definition of my neighbor to people I like and to people who look like me. Now, if we can do that, then I might be pretty close to keeping all of these laws together. And as you're gonna see, Jesus doesn't give him points like a teacher, but rather he tells him and the group a story. Now you've heard it told once, but one of the things we're doing in this experience of, through the Gospel of Luke is called family chats. And I hope you take advantage of these experiences, the power of parents and grandparents interacting with their kids. A number of years ago, my daughter uh, caught me and my granddaughter on the floor and uh, with her iPhone, and uh, I'm reading her the story of the Good Samaritan from her children's Bible. Let's go back in time. Chapter 24, Jesus the... Teacher. Teacher. Yay. Yay. Jesus told the people, love God and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. A man asked, who is my... Neighbor. Neighbor. Jesus answered his question with a story. One day, a man was walking down the road. Suddenly, some robbers jumped out. They hit the man and stole everything that he had. No, he hit that man. That's right. And suddenly, they ran away, leaving him lying in the dirt. Soon, a priest came along, but he passed without helping him. Then, a leader of the church came along, but he didn't stop to help him either. 
finally a Samaritan came down the road. Is that Samaritan? Uh-huh. And he saw the injured man. He felt sorry for him and quickly jumped off of his donkey and ran over to help. The Samaritan bandaged the man's sores, put him on his donkey, and took, donkey and took him to an inn where he could get better. Then Jesus asked, who was a neighbor to the injured man? The man replied, the Samaritan who helped him. Yep, Jesus said, be kind like that man. Now listen to this. Yep, Jesus told stories to teach people. You can learn from Jesus' stories too. That's really cool, isn't it now? <laughs> now, as a general rule, I do not like people sticking their feet in my face when I'm teaching. <laughs> Unless you're my granddaughter who's now 14 years old. Isn't that cool? Man, spend time reading the word to your kids and your grandkids. Okay, now let's tell the story again and pull out a couple of principles. So here it goes, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So here, Jesus introduces us to a man. That's all we know about him is that he is a man. And I think that is significant because uh, Jesus doesn't care whether or not the man is Jewish or Gentile, or Samaritan, white, black, brown, or yellow. That's a part of the point. Is because for followers of Jesus, we do not have to dissect who is the person who is hurting along the side of the road. We are called to value all people because all people are valued and loved by God. Amen? Yeah, so the journey between Jerusalem up above and Jericho is a 17 stretch of land, uh, 2,500 uh, feet uh, above sea level to 800 feet below sea level. The road that ran through this rough terrain was a rocky desert country. Now, uh, I, took a, I see several of you here. We went to Israel this last year, and here's a pic of this actual place. As a matter of fact, one of the places in this desert land is called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Yeah, it's not a metaphor that you get in Psalm 23. It's an actual place. And David, when he was a shepherd boy, attending to his dad's flocks for them to graze, would have to enter into the Valley of the Shadow of Death. And the Valley of the Shadow of Death is a place in this area where the sun, no matter when it shines during the day, is always dark, allowing robbers to hide in the crevices and to rob and to beat people up. And that's why young David, as a boy, when he wrote uh, Psalm 23, this gives you a whole new meaning. Now, now that you know it's not just a metaphor, but an actual place. Young David, as a teenage shepherd boy, says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And when, when we were there, I grabbed a rock from the valley of the shadow of death, and I keep it with me whenever I... I'm, I'm going into a place that's fearful, and I go, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you're with me. That's awesome. So this idea uh, of this story, that a man would be walking down that path and get beaten up and left 
half dead was not a far-fetched story. The people were connecting with Jesus. So let's keep reading. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw, passed by on the other side. Now the significance of the story is that these are not just Jewish people, but these are priests and a a Levite like another priest, really, essentially, associate pastor. And these are the people that were men of the cloth who should have known better because the law clearly teaches that they're not just supposed to know about the truth, but they're supposed to actually live it out, right? Right? I mean, if Jesus were writing the story today, he would say in the story, and then, uh, first of all, Pastor Randy passed by this guy, and he just he ignored him. And then after that, Pastor Dan Diebel, he did the same exact thing. Yeah, and the idea is like, they shouldn't have been doing that, man. They should have stopped and helped this guy. I do not like it when Jesus picks on pastors. I don't like it <laughs> at all, but he's Jesus, so there you go. So the question is, where is Jesus going with this story? Well, let's keep reading verse 33. But a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, some of you may be new to the Bible, and your question should be, what is a Samaritan? What is a Samaritan? The answer is a Samaritan is a member of a community that today is nearly extinct. They don't Many, not many of them exist anymore, and these are people who claim to be related by blood to the Israelites of ancient Samaria who were not deported when Assyria came and overtook them. In other words, the Assyrian Empire, evil empire, comes and, and overtakes this northern kingdom of Israel, and they are deported, and, and but there's a group of people that are left behind, and they refer to themselves as Samaritans. Now, you may recall in Old Testament history, some of you, this is going to be uh, brand new for you, but uh, Israel is formed, Abraham and Sarah, they have kids, and Isaac and all those people, they're formed into a nation and ultimately take over the land with Jerusalem at the center, right? And they have kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. When Solomon becomes the monarch of Israel, because of his disobedience to God, God disciplines them by dividing the nation of Israel into two nations, the nation to the north contains 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're called the nation of Israel, whose capital city is Samaria. The remaining two tribes are to the south called the nation of Judah, whose headquarters or capital city is Jerusalem, okay? And so here's the deal. You can imagine that there's a lot of tension between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and as a result, the Jews in the south despised the Samaritans to the north. They did. So much so, at the time of Jesus, we know that if a Jew from Jerusalem were to walk, wanted to walk or travel up to the north to Galilee, and Samaria's in the middle, 
So detestable are the Samaritans, they would go out of their way to walk around Samaria all this extra time to send a message to the Samaritans, you're dogs, we don't like you. And that's why it's so significant when Jesus, the paradigm buster, is traveling, he doesn't go around. Uh -uh. He goes right through Samaria and he has an amazing conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is teaching us with his very life. And so the truth of the matter is the Jews do not like the Samaritans and reality is the Samaritans don't like the Jews. But it is the Samaritan in the story Jesus is telling who stops and helps this guy who was beaten and broken and left half dead. And no doubt, you can imagine you're there. This expert of the law is beginning to shake in his sandals. He knows where this story is going now. It is going in the wrong direction. And the extreme demonstration of love that the Samaritan shows to this man, regardless of who he is, is quite moving. As a matter of fact, when he gives the innkeeper two denarii, that is enough to cover three and a half weeks of stay in this inn. So then Jesus lands the plane. Every good story needs to land. Jesus lands the plane with a single sentence exposing the brilliance of the master storyteller. He asked this question of the expert of the law, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? What has Jesus done? He's changed the question. Jesus changed the question from who is my neighbor to who proved to be a neighbor. And the expert of the law has been schooled by Jesus and he knows he must answer. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied. Now you can't see this in the English, but it is in the Greek. He says to himself under his breath, dang, busted. And then he says to the group, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, told him, go and do likewise. This is the same message that Jesus is sharing with us today. Go and do likewise. The pertinent question for us today as followers of Jesus is not, who is my neighbor, but have I proven to be a neighbor to the people that God brings into my life or crosses my path? And this includes for us people who we don't like and people who do not look like us. And this is the part in the sermon where the preacher sticks out his bony index finger and says, now you people, you're so bad. If it weren't for the grace of Jesus, you would burn and you need to get better and here's a hundred things you need to do better. But the reality is I bring you a word of commendation. I am so proud of you. I don't know a one of you who wouldn't be the Samaritan in this story who calls Westside home. I don't know a one of you. 
we just formed our first area community, Prairie Ridge Area Community. 55 families have signed up to be official members and representatives of Jesus in the Prairie Ridge Elementary School area. That's about 165 people, and they've already connected with the principal of the elementary school there. The principal has already identified uh, th- three students who are left beaten and broken and on the side of the road in a dangerous situation for us to mentor them. People have stood up, and one of the single moms uh, called us and said, hey, I want to meet the mentor before, you know, I put him in front of my kid, right? That's a good, good mom question. And so connected with uh, Angie, who leads our uh, program here, and the mom was super satisfied with the answer, and Angie did the coolest thing. Can I pray for you? Once she heard her story of pain, and she got prayed for, the lady said, and what church do you come to? What do you go to? Westside Family Church. Why, of course, right? And the lady said, uh, wow, that's great. Angie said, would you like to come? And now she's here. How that, that's pretty cool, right? Now, hey, my neighbor, uh, who, uh, who is our A2 leader, uh, has now just finished their approval uh, to do this at Lenexa Hills Elementary School. And two kids just moved in. You know how, students, how hard that is to, like, move in uh, to a new area and school is halfway over. And, and these are two Filipino kids uh, and a single mom. Uh, one is sixth grade boy. Um, extremely shy, fourth grade girl, and they've just got approved, and they're going to spend at least an hour a week with them uh, and really building them up. And what could be the potential outcome of their lives? I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I'm running out of time. But I wanted to tell you one other story. So uh, uh, when I was preparing for this, I thought, oh, I know a story that I want to tell. So there's this lady in our church. Her name is Pam. And I'm a, I mean, I haven't asked her, and this is a dangerous way to connect, but um, um, she, I think she's um, about my age, you know, so kind of, you know, old. And... Um, and uh, and, she, and she's small and, 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 I don't know, just, you know, kind of a little lady like me, a little guy. And um, at this point in her life, um, you would think that she would feel justified in spending the majority of her time, like, uh, quilting. You know, I mean, no, I mean, nothing against quilting. I mean, you know, joining the Christian women's quilting group, and I think that's fantastic, right? You know, quilt Bible verses into them and all that kind of stuff, and I think that's fantastic, right? But in her case, she felt called by God uh, to be the Samaritan. And, and so I wanted to tell her story without uh, 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 trying to elevate her as the good Samaritan, but just kind of tell the story of what she does. She comes alongside, this little gal, <laughs> comes alongside of these men, big men, who are, who've gotten trapped in addiction, uh, drugs and alcohol, and have gotten incarcerated. And they are beaten and broken, and most people have abandoned them. Rightfully so, they're family members, and she takes them in. I want you to watch the story. I grew up in Kansas City, Kansas. My childhood was, was good until my parents passed and I was adopted at the age of 11. I went down kind of like the wrong path for using drugs and, you know, and the drugs ultimately led to a like downward spiral with my behavior and you know, things like that, which led me to ultimately being incarcerated.
incarceration, it was it was kind of rough. I definitely felt lonely and abandoned in there. I felt like everybody forgot about me, you know, while I was in there. But for me, it like helped me, you know, just self-reflect and you know, get closer to God, you know, by reading the Bible and um, things like that. So that was kind of peaceful for me by being in there. How I met Dylan was uh, he gave me a phone call from Johnson County Jail and told me that he wanted to change his life and wanted to know if I would help him uh, bond him out of jail and that he promised to pay me back when he got out. So uh, I said, yes, I would. And I did. Helm helped me uh, a lot, actually. Uh, from the time I was in jail, you know, she helped me get out. Um, she brought me to new creations and ultimately, like, just helped me be a, a better communicator. That was like an issue I had, you know, first. Um, being able to communicate and just, you know, express myself. I was kind of like holding everything in, so. Well, when he got here, uh, we first do uh, a month's worth of Bible studies and 12-step meetings. And so he started out with that. We helped him get a job. He now works uh, full-time. And then as time went on, he took a parenting class. And then uh, he took that to the judge. And then the judge said that he could uh, spend time with his daughters. Now he has two daughters. Uh, one of the things that Deland uh, did while he was here last summer uh, was get baptized along with about eight other guys. One of my goals is to uh, ask every week in our house meeting, is there anyone here who has not been baptized who would like to be? They can go with me to church on Sunday and get baptized. In the future, I'm just trying to you know, just stay more involved in my kid's life. Just trying to you know, continue my education further in that um, and just you know, elevated my life to where I know that it could possibly be. Jesus, like, it's nothing would be possible. You know, just trying to stay on a straight and narrow and just you know, do the things he's asking of me and just believing that everything I'm asking of him is going to come true. That's the story right there. Hey, listen to this. You've already clapped. It's a great story. Yep, way to do it again. And I just got word that... Um, uh, guy number 19 after this service is going to be baptized. So you might want to go out there and, and celebrate. Maybe some of you people who quilt can give the guy a quilt, you know, afterwards, you know. So um, here's the two questions we wrap up with today. Uh, the first one is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is a good question if you're asking it. And one of your answers could be, you know what, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to win approval with God. I'm going to try to keep all 600 and 
13 laws perfectly and God will certainly let me in. You'll want to wear yourself out. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says the answer is he did it all for you, but you simply need to believe in him. Faith, eternal life is not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. He has already done it. You just have to believe. And maybe that's where you're at today. And that's why you came. And we'd love to help you with that, to make that decision. And if you're ready, we can baptize you right along a man who was left beaten and broken on the side of the road. And you will share eternity with him forever and ever. Let us help you with that. The second question is, who is my neighbor? And what we've learned is that's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, prove to be a neighbor. And you're already doing such a great job, church, but I just want to recommission you that if this week or in any time in your life you're out and someone comes along your path that is beaten and broken and left half for dead, regardless, regardless of what they look like, regardless of whether they like you or you like them, that you would not be like the pastor or the priest who would pass them by, but rather you would be like the good Samaritan who meets them at their point of pain. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Father, now as we enter into a time of worship, we ask you to speak to us, jar our hearts, cover us with your mercy and with your grace. We pray in the name of your Son, who offers us eternal life through faith in him. Amen. Please be standing.